Hello and welcome back to Wit Glass Unfiltered. I'm your host, Courtney Huntington, and this is episode 73. Glad to have you back with me today. This afternoon, we're going to talk about some headlines, probably a little bit of technology, um, and uh, I, I feel like I probably promised in a previous episode to talk about something that I haven't yet talked about, uh, so I'll have to go back and review my notes and make sure that uh, I don't forget something. If you feel like I'm forgetting something, please let me know. Please forgive me. Uh, hopefully, I will get back around to whatever it was I said I was going to talk about. Today, I'm drinking some peppermint tea. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about um, about the machines we use, like the Eura Impressa C60 or the Keurig or the Solofill Grinder. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about Trader Joe's organic Nicaraguan honey processed coffee from the El Pastorale estate. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to say that I am really enjoying the weather that we're having where I am, which is fall weather. And I'm enjoying the cool crispness of the air and the taste of this delicious peppermint tea. All right, moving on from that today. I want to talk about some headlines. I've just read an article by um, <clears throat> Judge Andrew Napolitano, and I don't care what side of any issue you're on. If you are not reading Judge Napolitano's um, writings, his, uh, his articles, his columns, then you're missing out because he is thorough and he is very objective in the way he presents the material. This one actually just came out today, and it is, um, it's, <clears throat> excuse me, it's on the Fox News website. It's an opinion piece about the DACA and the rule of law. And, um, and after going through um, the, what has currently been declared by Trump and Jeff Sessions, and giving the, the backstory, he gives uh, what he believes to be the, um, the outcome moving forward. And it, it's a wonderful little article. Let me read you a couple bits. So here he, um, he says, here's the backstory. Shortly after President Obama formalized two programs, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, commonly known as the DACA, and Deferred Action for Parents of Americans, commonly DAPA, in a series of executive orders, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit Court ruled that the DAPA was unconstitutional. Okay, before signing his executive orders, Obama tried to persuade Congress to amend federal immigration laws. Obama's executive orders were not novel. And again, understand that the real point I'm making here is that you need to be reading Judge Napolitano. So listen to what he says. This is a guy on Fox News. This is a guy who is a libertarian, right-leaning sort of guy. But he does not criticize Obama here, as you might expect him to. Okay, He says, Obama's executive orders were not novel. They merely formalized what every president since Ronald Reagan, including President Donald Trump, has effectively done. Each has declined to deport undocumented immigrants who bore children here or who were brought here as young children. 
President Obama alone showed the courage to put this in writing, thereby giving immigrants notice of what they need to do to avoid deportation and the government notice of whose deportations should not occur. Hey, I'm, I have been very critical of Obama on, on points like this because I, I do not like um, uh, presidential unconstitutional executive orders. I just don't. And this one was unconstitutional, but here you have a guy who's a very constitutional-minded analyst in Judge Napolitano talking about how um, how this was a courageous thing on Obama's part to do because he wasn't actually doing anything new that other presidents preceding and since haven't also done themselves just without the courage to declare it openly in that way. So... Uh, so that's pretty uh, pretty nice and objective. Um, it goes on to talk about the U.S. Court of Appeals ruling it unconstitutional. Um, but then he says, when Sessions announced this week that DACA will not be followed after March 5th, 2018, he said he is confident that DACA is unconstitutional for the same reasons that the courts found DAPA to be unconstitutional. Yet, says Judge Napolitano, there are moral, constitutional, legal, and economic arguments on this that will be an obstacle to the cancellation of this long-standing program. Morally, he says, most of the beneficiaries are fully Americanized young adults who know no other life but what they have here and have no roots in the countries of their births. Many are serving the U.S. in the military. Now, on that note, I got to say, if you're serving in the United States military, you should automatically be granted citizenship. No ifs, ands, or buts. Um, As long as we have citizenship and as long as we have a standing military, those who serve in the military to protect those who are citizens should automatically be granted citizenship. There shouldn't be... Any of this, um, any of this kind of, hey, yeah, yeah, you know, you, even though you're serving in the military, we can send you home if we want to. Uh, okay, constitutionally, Judge Napolitano continues, DACA has effectively been in place since 1986, and 800,000 people younger than 40 have planned their lives in reliance upon it. Legally, he continues, once a benefit has been given by the government and relied upon, the courts are reluctant to rescind it, even though the Fifth Circuit Court showed no such reluctance. Economically, he continues, you you see the pattern here, right? He's talking about the different consequences. He says moral, constitutional, legal, and economic arguments. So he talks about the moral arguments Uh, He talks about the constitutional arguments. Now we're talking about the economic arguments. Um, Oh, and and he he talked about the legal arguments, which he uh, joined, he conjoined there with uh, the constitutional discussion. Okay, economically, he continues, the summary removal of more than three quarters of a million people from the workforce would have serious negative consequences for their employers and dependents and for delicate economic forces. And there would be negative economic consequences to the government as well as each claimed hardship case, 
each person whose deportation is ordered is entitled to a hearing at the government's expense. All right, so um, I, I would encourage you to, to go ahead and look up this article, which I'll include in the show notes. Read it for yourself uh, because there's more detail than, than what I've read, and it's well worth considering whatever side you're on. And by the way, if you're coming at this question from a left-leaning, progressive, Democrat um, standpoint, um, I hope that you'll read this, and I hope you'll be encouraged that there are some people out there in the world who disagree with you principally on a lot of, of issues who are yet objective enough to have honest discussions about it and even at times grant that those who are opposed to your standpoint are not always in the right just because their party or their candidate says so. Okay, the next article on my list is, um, <clears throat> is a hilarious article. Uh, it's, all, it's from The Blaze. The headline is, College Students in Tears Over a Banana Peel in a Tree Because It Didn't Make Them Feel Safe. And I don't know much about this particular column. It absolutely has to be sarcasm in the, um, in the vein of the onion. Uh, here's how it starts. An off-campus Greek life event held by leaders of Old Miss last weekend was canceled after many students became troubled by a banana peel, which was hanging from a campus tree. According to the Daily Mississippian, many members of the community were hurt, frightened, and upset by what occurred. So what happened? Ole Miss Greek life leaders cut their three-day leadership retreat to nearby Camp Hopewell short after black students discovered a banana peel dangling in a tree outside of one of the camp's cabins. The banana peel was later spotted by Alpha Kappa Alpha President Michaela McNeil, a leader from one of the campus's historically black sororities. The Daily Mississippian reported that McNeil had just left a group discussion about race relations when she spotted the banana peel in the tree. The overall tone of the meeting was heavy, McNeil told the newspaper. I mean, we were talking about race in Mississippi and in the Greek community, so there's a lot involved. She added that she and her friends were all just sort of paranoid for a second after noticing the banana peel, calling its appearance so strange and surreal. Alexa Lee Arndt, Interim Director of Fraternity and Sorority Life at Ole Miss noted that an open forum was held after news of the banana peel had spread throughout the camp. As the staff member responsible for the well-being of our community, I felt it was imperative to provide space immediately to students affected by this incident to allow them an opportunity to voice their pain and concern, Arndt told the newspaper. After the open forum, Greek life leaders decided to cancel the remainder of the weekend. In a letter obtained by the Daily Mississippian, Arndt was quoted as saying that members of our community were hurt, frightened, and upset by what occurred. Because of the underlying reality many students of color endure on a daily basis, the conversation manifested into a larger conversation about race relations today at the University of Mississippi, Arndt reportedly added. Another sorority president reportedly told the newspaper that the incident was especially painful because... Bananas have historically been used to demean black people. The newspaper reported that many of the students left the retreat in tears because they didn't feel welcome or safe. Uh, 
And it goes on and it actually, um, it actually gets even funnier. And I really, really hope that this article is, um, is satire because it would be really, really sad if it were not satire. Unfortunately, we do live in a time when so many people are so sensitive about so many things that an article like this sounds like it could actually be real and not satire. I will include a link in the show notes to this article so you can read the rest of it and have a good laugh for yourself. Uh, Okay, another article I want to point out. There's been a recent study that says millennial households are poorer than any other generation. According to a Pew Research Center analysis of Census Bureau data, millennials made up about 5.3 million of the nearly 17 million U.S. households considered to be living below the poverty line in 2016. Comparatively, Gen Xers were at the head of 4.2 million and baby boomers led 5 million poor households. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't tend to trust too much or put too much stock, I should say, in uh, a lot of census data. I do think it's fascinating. Um, I, I just... I just think that often we're measuring the wrong things. So, I, and, and I'm, I'm not an economist, so I don't know enough about these numbers to be able to tell you whether these numbers are accurate or whether these are exactly the right things that we should be looking at. Uh, but I tend to suspect that when we're talking about wealth in this country and whether or not we're doing well in this way or that way, that I read all that with a grain of salt because I tend to think that our country places too much stock in wealth in general, uh, but we also tend to prioritize wealth too highly. And so um, uh, societal health and even household health is often linked to economics, when in reality, economics is one of the uh, least reliable indicators of family health in my opinion. Uh, but the article goes on, and this is the, the thing that I, I really want to draw attention to from this article, is that the article says millennials have also been saddled with an increasing amount of student debt. Since 2003, outstanding student loan balances have increased more than 457%, according to a Fox Business analysis of statistics from the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. 457%. Okay, so if, if we're doing the math right, that's four and a half times. Okay, now, if you have increasing population, you understand that you're, you could have increasing, um, increasing total debt. Right, so uh, the 457% increase can be accounted for in part by uh, increasing population numbers. It could be accounted for in part by increasing percentage of people attending college. It could be accounted for by, um, partly at least, by 
simple inflation. But 457%, that's an awful lot. Uh, Population certainly hasn't increased. It hasn't uh, um, increased four and a half times. Inflation hasn't gone up four and a half times. The number of people attending college and university hasn't gone up four and a half times. So I, um, I'm not surprised by this number. And I wish that this article would have gone into more depth about it. Um, but it does include a link. So let me, um, let me give you this link as well. It's an article titled, Student Loan Debt Up More Than 450% Since 2003. Okay, so it's linking to its own article uh, on this. Um, It says, while total U.S. household debt in the first quarter of 2017 surpassed its $12.68 trillion peak reached during the recession, according to data from the New York Fed, it's the astronomical increase in student loan debt that is perhaps the most shocking. I don't know if the word shock is the word that I would use to describe this because the word shock connotes that there is something unexpected. Something that is jarring um, can be jarring regardless of whether or not it's expected, but... um, but shock requires some element of, of surprise. Um, I, I'm looking up the actual definition of the word shocking. Um, it's an adjective, of course, causing indignation or disgust, offensive, shocking behavior, causing a feeling of surprise and dismay. So, According to this particular definition, which is the, it's from the uh, Oxford Dictionary of English. Uh, I should probably read the, the new Oxford American Dictionary. Let me see. Causing indignation or disgust offensive. It's the same definition. Um, so, according to this definition, the word shocking doesn't demand surprise, but... Um, usually we tend to use it that way. If we look at the noun, uh, the first definition is a sudden, upsetting, or surprising event or experience. And then uh, sub-definitions, a feeling of disturbed surprise resulting from an upsetting event, an acute medical condition associated with the fall in blood pressure. Okay, that's the medical stuff. Uh, A disturbance causing instability in an economy. Trading imbalances caused by the two oil shocks. All right, uh, let's see. So the, the definitions definitely lean toward the connotation of surprise, uh, though it's not absolutely necessary in every setting. It's certainly the way that I would prefer it be used because I think that uh, there are other words that, um, that are better, that have more clear connotations. Um, to me, this isn't shocking at all. To me, this is entirely unsurprising. I, I don't know that I would have said, oh yeah, 450%, that sounds like exactly the right amount. 
I, I doubt I would say that, but uh, certainly I knew it was high. I knew it was going to be very high, and reports over the past 10 years have been that it's increasing and increasing rapidly. So I, I don't know that this should really be a shock. Um, all right, the article goes on, let's see, in the first quarter of 2003, 241 billion in student loans were outstanding compared with the first quarter of 2017 when that number jumped to 1.34 trillion. Um, in the first quarter of 2017 alone, this is very significant, student loan debt jumped 2.6%. Um, the New York Fed notes that student loan balances have increased each of the 18 years it has been releasing the analysis, while other household dues have been less consistent. Um, okay, so last couple things from this article. From the first quarter of 2003 to the first quarter of 2017, student loan debt rose the fastest out of all types of household debt. Mortgage debt, for example, increased only 74%. Auto loan debt jumped 82%. Overall household debt was up 75% over the same time frame. Not only that, but student loan delinquencies have also remained high uh, with 11% of total student debt at least 90 days delinquent or in default during the first quarter this year. So there you have it. The student loan situation is out of control. Now, there are a lot of potential factors for this, and you'll find a lot of disagreement about going to college, taking on debt, et cetera, et cetera. You know, how do you pay for college? And I am certainly not of the mind that college debt is always bad. I got through both undergraduate and grad school without taking on debt, paying for the entire, um, the entire schooling myself, working my way through, uh, as a lot of other people have done. And I did it partly by going to schools that were less expensive. And so, you know, that's a choice I had to make. And some people want to go to better schools Schools that have better reputations, I should say, uh, a lot of the schools that are more expensive aren't any better than, than uh, the ones I went to. And a lot of more expensive schools are worse than the ones I went to. I chose the schools I did very specifically. They suited my purposes perfectly. And cost was not actually one of the primary um, motivating factors in choosing the schools I did. I would have been happy to try to pay whatever... Um, I needed to. But one of the strategies that I employed was uh, gaining residency so, uh, so that I could pay in-state tuition rates. And so sometimes that meant, well, sometimes, I mean, I only went to two different schools for two different degrees. Um, and, and so for the second of the degrees, I moved, gained residency, delayed the gratification of my my education and degree um, while gaining residency. And, um, and it worked out really well. Um, it wasn't 
it was in a sense gaming the system, but it was not gaming the system in a bad way because the state that I uh, went to the school in gained my residency not just for the two years that I was in grad school, but for a total of seven and a half years. So it worked out well for the state that I lived in, um, for, for me to, to gain residency by living and working in the state for the required period of time to do that. There are lots of strategies to be employed, and there are lots of different choices to be made, and I don't begrudge someone taking on student debt. I don't begrudge someone making that gamble, as it were. But um, you got to understand when you're gambling that the house almost always wins. Now, it should be concerning, I think. I think it should be very concerning that student loans are going up at the rate that they're going up, that so many people are choosing student loans and that student loan... um, a student, it's not just the loan, but the, the tuition costs are increasing so much. I'm sure that you've seen the articles about this. College tuition rates in the United States are through the roof. I'm actually going to pull up an article here if I can find it quickly. This wasn't in my my plan. I didn't intend specifically to speak about this article, but um, let's see, but I do have some notes on it, and I think that this is a good time to talk about it. Okay, so here's an article. This is actually two years old. It's from CNBC, and the headline is, Why College Costs Are So High and Rising. There you go. Uh, they say in February 1970, with the school storied quadrant, uh, that's, uh, let's see, tuition's going up, raise the annual cost of attending the prestigious school in the fall of 1971 by $200 to $2,600. It was the first time since 1949 that the school, which was chartered in 1650, had boosted tuition two years in a row. This is Harvard University. Let's see. Um, Acting Dean said it used to be that once in an undergraduate career, tuition would increase. But from now on, unless inflation is halted, there's no choice in the matter but to continue raising tuition. More than 40 years later, tuition at American colleges and universities continues to surge ahead much faster than the inflation that was cited. This fall, Harvard's annual tuition and fees, this was 2015, not including room and board, will cost $45,278, more than 17 times the 1971-72 to cost that had been raised to $2,600 by $200. 
If annual increases had simply tracked the inflation rate since 1971, next year's tuition would be only to $15,189. And it's not just the tuition costs at elite universities like Harvard that are outpacing the government's consumer price index. I'm still reading from the article here. The average cost of tuition and fees at a private nonprofit four-year university this school year was $31,231, up sharply from $1,832 in 1971 to 72. And this is all of these prices are in current dollars. At public four-year schools, tuition and fees cost about 9,139 on average this year. In the 1971 school year, they added up to less than $500 in current dollars. Um Scanning, scanning, scanning. Since 1971, annual college enrollment has more than doubled in the U.S. to 19.5 million as of 2013, the latest census data available at the time this article was written. In that year, there were 5.3 million in two-year colleges, 10.5 million in four-year colleges, and 3.7 million in graduate school. But after decades of expanding enrollments, applications have begun tapering off. College enrollment peaked in 2011 with millions of recent debt-burdened college graduates still underemployed by one of the worst recessions on record. Many students and their families are wondering why tuition keeps rising and how much higher it will go. Um, This is a nice long article that I will link to Uh, so that you can read it for yourself. There's a lot of really good information here, lots of charts. Um, The one thing that I'm looking for that I'm not seeing in this article, so I'll need to make a note for myself to either include this in the show notes for you or uh, do another episode on it later, is um, how much the pay of administrators has gone up since 1971 and 72. Uh, so I, I'll leave this discussion there, and uh, we'll, we'll pick it up at a later time. Thank you very much for being with me on this episode of Glass Unfiltered. This has been episode 73. I'm grateful that you're continuing to listen. Thank you. Please tell all your friends and family. If you have questions, send them in to me at halfwit at wit.glass, H-A-L-F-W-I-T at wit.glass. Um, comments, questions, concerns, suggestions. Um, If you have ideas for monetization, if you have a product and you'd like to sponsor the show, if you have a a fat load of cash that you'd like to uh, dump into the show to help sustain it for the long term, that would be welcome too. And even if you don't have a fat load of cash, let's say you got five bucks, let's say you've got one buck, hey, get on the website There are links. I've tried to make them as obvious as possible. There's a banner at the top of the website that says, click here to contribute financially. Something like that. I'm not quoting it, but it says something like that. It's not hard. You don't have to give a lot, but anything that you give will be welcome and will be used to support 
this show. Also, share on social media. You know how to do that. Uh, And I would appreciate it if you would. Next episode, we're going to be talking technology. I got to get off of education for a a bit. Got to talk about some technology. I've been putting off some technology topics. And next week, September 12th, Apple is holding a big event. And I want to talk about some things before we get to Apple's big event. All right. Thanks again for being with me on this episode. Have a great day.